Hi, and welcome to Listen Up A-Holes, the only Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast that needs a cocktail and a lobotomy. I'm Joshua Unruh, superhero scholar from Pulp Diction Productions. And I'm story expert Lonnie Diane Rich of Chipperish Media. Together, we're working our way through the good, the bad, and the bonkers of the MCU. So listen up, A-Holes. We're going to talk about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Lonnie, as usual, this is the familiar refrain. Every time I think I'm going to be given nothing to work with, Mm -hmm. out of the whatever three or four episodes we're watching, a gift is handed to me. (laughs) And in this one, Maria Hill mentions, just in passing, one of the more embarrassingly named creature features at Marvel, the man thing. I missed that reference, probably because I have no idea what the man thing is. And you told me not to look at your notes, That's so I right, haven't even seen it. Because I'm not done. Yet. You're okay. still you're still gonna be really entertained as we discuss <laughs> the man thing. Uh-huh. But yes, Maria Hill on the phone said something about how people were questioning her con- constantly. What is <laughs> or what or where are you storing a man thing? <laughs> Fantastic. I was just like, oh, thank God, and wrote that down. Just Yeah. So apparently in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, S.H.I.E.L.D. has run into the Man-Thing, which isn't Mm -hmm. altogether that weird. Okay. I do, however, bet they were unable to put him in the fridge. I bet he is still, I should say it, is still at large. All right. So first appearing in Savage Tales number 1, May 1971, created by Stan Lee, Roy Thomas, Jerry Conway, and Gray Morrow, the Man-Thing began his life as Dr. Ted Salas, a scientist working with S.H.I.E.L.D.'s Project Gladiator in the Florida Everglades. As per usual in the 616, a bunch of well-meaning eggheads were trying to recreate Captain America's super soldier <laughs> formula, and hijinks ensued. Ted worked alongside a S.H.I.E.L.D. scientist whose name I think you fans of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. will recognize. Barbara Bobby Morse. Ooh, spoilers, but yeah. (laughs) Well, I know she shows up. That's basically what I know, right? And I don't know what she's like on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but as far as the comic Mm -hmm. books are concerned, she is a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent and an Avenger and a West Coast Avenger, and she married Hawkeye because she makes interesting life choices. (laughs) We'll talk more about her when she actually shows up, but one of the Uh interesting things about her as a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent superhero is she's also a phd oh great she is a scientist she was a shield scientist specifically but again we will get to her there will oh oh there's so much to say about mockingbird (laughs) but unfortunately for ted Uh he was apparently a pretty lousy husband Mm -hmm. and his wife joined aim to get back at him great When she and AIM infiltrated Project Gladiator, Ted destroyed his notes, which he'd memorized, injected the serum into himself, and drove away to escape. Naturally, he had a giant car accident, which left him injured, dying, and swallowed by a swamp that also happened to be the nexus of all realities, capital N, capital A, capital R. Any questions so far? 
It's a swamp that is the nexus of all realities. Okay, this guy sounds to me like somebody who does not have a lot of good luck. Oh, good Lord. Well, no. <laughs> no. Does anybody that we talk about during Four Color Facts have good luck? I do not think so. I don't think so. But that's what makes them so much fun. Exactly. <laughs> So now, infused with the super soldier serum, the fauna of the swamp, and the mystical energies of the Nexus, Ted arose as a nearly mindless plant creature with bulbous glowing red eyes. Mm-hmm. He became the Man-Thing. <laughs> now, if this sounds remotely familiar, it's probably because you have heard of DC's character, Swamp Thing. Aha, right. Now, if neither the origin nor the name Swamp Thing sound familiar to you, then you have clearly found more productive ways to spend your time than I have. (laughs) Needless to say, the two characters' origins are very similar and more or less concurrent in creation. Man-Thing definitely existed first, but since his publishing history is all muddled up by the fact that Savage Tales was canceled after that one issue, (laughs) I wonder why... (laughs) The reason for this similarity between the two characters is easy. Jerry Conway, creator of Man-Thing, and Len Wayne, creator of Swamp Thing, were roommates at the time. Oh my god. Now, when Jerry called bullshit on Len, Len refused to see the similarities. And since we're not exactly talking about the next Superman or Spider-Man here, Marvel just let it drop. Wow. So did they stop being roommates at that point, I'm guessing? You know what? I don't know. <laughs> I I doubt that there was a huge falling out over this. Yeah. I mean, these are just guys who happen to live together working for different companies. In a few years, they'd probably switch. Uh-huh. It's all work for hire anyway, so it's not like you own any of this stuff when right. you're done. Mm-hmm. You know? What's, what's kind of fascinating to me is that while Man-Thing has sort of remained in this like weird D-list area mm-hmm. of Marvel, Swamp Thing is kind of having a resurgence and, and has actually had some kind of peaks in between his valleys, whereas Man-Thing just is like all valley. Okay. <laughs> You've had two Swamp Thing movies, a well-respected for its time cable show uh-huh. on the USA Network about Swamp Thing. Wow. He is now a prominent character in a version of the Justice League and is getting another television show on DC's new streaming service. Wow. The Man-Thing did have one like straight-to-video kind of horror movie thing, but it's like, (laughs) come on. Wow. Okay, that's fascinating. It's bizarre. right. I don't even I think, know why. It's I think like, it's because of the name. Swamp Thing is evocative, and Man Thing is evocative of something that I think they don't want to be evocative of. No, I agree. <laughs> I mean, that's that's definitely part of it. What's yeah. a Swamp Thing? We know something about that guy right off. You right. say Man Thing, and I'm like, is this clean? Yeah, yeah. No. Sounds. A little and the answer is no, because he's made out of swamp right. muck. But you know. <laughs> now, in terms of powers. Man-Thing is essentially impossible to kill Mm -hmm. as he is made out of basically swamp muck and mire. Okay. Most things will either pass right through him or become harmlessly stuck in his gunky form. (laughs) He can ooze his body through cracks, crevices, and other tiny openings. And due to the spiritual powers of the Nexus, he is immune to disease and poison. All right. He is superhumanly strong and will essentially never tire from any physical activity. Wow. Though basically mindless, the man thing is empathic and will sense mystical and emotional disturbances. 
Negative emotions, such as anger, fear, or hate, will send him into a rage. But fear is especially distasteful to it. Mm -hmm. When Man-Thing senses fear, it immediately secretes a poison that will burn the flesh of anyone who touches it. Wow. Which is why he gets the super creepy tagline, Whatever knows fear burns at the touch of the (laughs) Man-Thing. Which is a really great line until you get to the end and say, of the man thing. Right. It sounds like a venereal disease. It does. It really does. Yeah. Now, I don't expect that all of this will make our listeners want to run out and read a bunch of man thing stories. (laughs) But I should mention that R.L. Stein of Goosebumps fame made his comics debut with a five-issue man thing series in 2017. Wow. I heard about it ahead of time and then basically forgot that it existed. But now that I'm reminded, I'm going to go get it because my kid is a huge Goosebumps fan. So I will read it and report back. Oh, yes, do. Definitely. Now, Stein's work aside, my favorite bit of Man-Thing lore is that somebody at Marvel actually thought it was a good idea to publish a book that was bigger, like more pages Mm -hmm. than the average comic book and title it Giant-Sized Man-Thing. Oh, my God. For four issues. Oh my god, it sounds it sounds vaguely pornographic. I mean, I, vaguely. <laughs> what else do you need? I think man thing is so vague, but it does have like you know. Lonnie, we may need to get you out of the house that a little bit more. Be, I don't think man thing is vague at all. That might be that might be the case. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Giant-sized man-thing. Wow. Absolutely a thing you could walk into a comic shop and buy without getting a sideways look. Oh, my God. That's Didn't even nuts. have to keep it behind the counter. <laughs> Whew. Oh, God. Now, from that, we we chill out quite a bit. Mm-hmm. We It's all a little bit downhill from the man-thing. Okay. Glenn Talbot oh, is Glenn a character Talbot. from the comic books. Yay! Now, from what I can tell, he's going to be something of a new nemesis for our agents. Kinda. Kinda. Kinda, sorta. Mm-hmm. Colonel Glenn Talbot is cold from the backbench. Mm-hmm. In the comics, he is a subordinate of General Thunderbolt Ross, mm-hmm. who is brought in to both assist with hunting the Hulk and proving that Banner is a communist spy. Okay. This is back when they didn't know that the reason Banner kept having mysterious disappearances was because he was turning into a big green rage monster. Oh, okay. He was keeping it secret. Yeah. So he's still working with the army while they're hunting the Hulk. Mm -hmm. And everybody's like, he just keeps disappearing. And it's so weird that that gamma bomb thing didn't work out. I wonder (laughs) if he's a commie. (laughs) Because again, late 60s. Right. You know. Glenn Talbot's main claims to fame include convincing Betty Ross to marry him. Wow. And then dying in his vendetta against the Hulk when he merged his mind with the war wagon. Mm-hmm. This is the dopest of whips created by the military specifically to kill the Hulk. Mm-hmm. Narrator voice. It didn't. <laughs> Did kill Talbot, though. Okay. It's a bad scene. Well, it's so cool to find out that Talbot was part of the comic books. And he does. You know, there is kind of a... Um, he does seem like the poor man's Thunderbolt Ross, right? He's got the mustache. He's got that same kind of, uh, you know, bearing. Yeah, he's basically Thunderbolt Ross turned down a couple notches. Yeah. Well, you know, w- w- wait 
to for that until you see him a little bit more in Agents of Shield. He turns up some notches after a while. But um, but yeah, no, Glenn Talbot's a really fun and interesting character, and I won't say much more because like how he how he evolves throughout the run of Agents of Shield is is definitely very interesting. But I like him. I think he's cool. And I will say, I knew it was Glenn Talbot before anybody said his name because the actor they got to play him looks exactly like he looked in the comics. Oh, really? Adrian Pazdar. Yeah. Wow. How neat. Shape of the head. I mean, I know they had to like grow the mustache and stuff, but I was just like, well, that's Glenn Talbot right before (laughs) somebody says Colonel Talbot, you know. Yeah. Just, I mean, identical. Great. So this is a little bit in the background, a little bit Easter eggy, but when they were raiding the file room mm-hmm. of Cybertech, yes, we saw a couple of names. We saw the Brand Corporation and Metro Bank. Okay. Now in the six one six, along with Cybertech, these are all well known divisions of the evil Roxon Energy Corporation. Mm-hmm. Metro Bank is one of the biggest banks in the Marvel universe, and inexplicably the home of the nth command a division of roxon that operates in other dimensions because roxon thinks big (laughs) well that's very forward thinking of them yeah Mm -hmm. let's see where else can we exploit right the next universe over seems good the brand corporation could almost be described as exclusively in the supervillain creation business (laughs) It just churns them out like there's an assembly line. Wow. It has employed Dr. Hank McCoy, a.k.a. the Bouncing Beast of the (laughs) X-Men, as well as Bob Baxter, a.k.a. Mad Dog, the douchebag first ex-husband of my favorite superhero, Hellcat. All right. (laughs) Gang, Roxxon is very, very bad people, and that's even before the Red Skull owns them. Wow. So... And we'll just leave that for the future. Right. <laughs> well, that's very cool. I like all that stuff. And I'm, I'm fascinated now by the man thing. Um, although I'm- So I've heard. <laughs> <laughs> the thing, here's the, okay. This is a little bit more of that like on background way that the MCU isn't as weird as I want it to be. Is yeah. that they name these guys like Griffin and Man Thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this is the kind of stuff that your second tier superheroes are supposed to be stumbling into. Right. Not nameless shield agents. Right. You know, <laughs> I just want some guy in his long johns to accidentally be on vacation in Florida when the Man Thing shows up. <laughs> That's what I want. I don't want there to be an actual disturbance that people in black suits show up like men in black, you know? Mm -hmm. I just, but it's fine. I'm so glad they mentioned the man thing. And now I'm really like, tell me more about that case file. Yeah, right. No, I mean, I love too that they are pulling from, you know, like these deep wells within the Marvel universe to kind of like add that bit of world building to everything to make that, you know, call out those Easter eggs for people. I think that's great. Well, and showing that Roxxon, for instance, which has been a bad guy mm-hmm. in se- or a bad organization in several different corners of the MCU, to show here that they are accepting how far-reaching they are in, mm-hmm. in the 616, you know, yeah. and just folding that in like, oh, no, this is <laughs> – they're they're up to all kinds of deviltry. I you love know. it, and it's so funny because like I've seen obviously these episodes quite a bit, so I've seen Maria Hill 
reference the man thing a number of times and i've never noticed it because if it if it doesn't you know have a direct like you know connection to something that i'm aware of it's all just gibberish you know it's just yeah, maria totally. hill talking to the thing um but anyway so that moves us into our discussion of these episodes which are so so great tell me how much you love agents of shield now joshua okay i really like how agents of shield has shaped up thank you <laughs> I am in a very complicated emotional space with it. Yes. Because it makes me actively angrier that it turns up good. Yeah. (laughs) Because I'm like, then why did you jerk me around so much at the beginning? Why was this not 13 episodes? Right. Right. Just stop telling me how TV's always been done and stop letting it murder your storytelling. Yes, and that's something they fix. I mean, they they move into future seasons where they do like pods. They call them pods. I don't know. Where oh, it's like, okay. It's like six or eight episode story arc, and then that's another really six or smart. eight episode story arc, and then they do that, which is something that started the first time I saw it done was Veronica Mars season three because the yeah. CW was having issues, you know, with whether or not to renew it or not. It became uh-huh. like part of that thing. Um, but it's actually we're finding, I think, now that we're moving away from a very structured, you know, television season year that was 22 to 25 episodes for a while there and then kind of shifted down a little bit. But we we moved into this cable space where people didn't have to live by those parameters. And so a mm-hmm. lot of these TV shows were coming in at 10 to 13 episodes and finding that that is actually kind of the sweet spot for telling a, a, a season long story arc. Yeah. You know, so um, when you've got a story arc like that and you've got it stretching over 22 episodes, it just it runs a little thin. And there's whole runs of episodes that are just like this has nothing to do with anything. You know, we don't care about this. Um, But it's just kind of like it's like killing time, you know, and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. sort of figures that out, I think, pretty quickly. And they start breaking up their seasons into sort of mini seasons, um, which has become more um, official by the most recent seasons of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D in which they actually name you know they name like the first half of season four is ghost rider or whatever you know like and so like they do all these things where they they really kind of it will full they'll move into each other the way that one season might move into another but they really do separate them and i think it's it's such fantastic storytelling instincts and now that television is becoming a much more fluid space you know we've got stuff that that would started out with this like you know cable um like usa was doing burn notice and um, in plain sight, you know, and all of those, all mm-hmm. of those shows, white collar, uh, with these shorter runs, you know, and we had um, so all of that stuff was starting to happen. Then we've got our, you know, prestige stuff with HBO and Showtime not needing to live by, you know, the strictures of a, of a standard network television season, doing 10, 12 episodes a season. You know, Netflix comes in. We've got all of this stuff happening, and so it's adding a fluidity that's kind of moving into even the traditional television space. Which I think is very cool. And I think that's how seasons should run, honestly. You know, I think a 13 episode season of television is a fantastic way to go. Tell your story, get in and get out, you know? So, absolutely. Yeah. So and that I makes me it. so happy I because the kind of complicated space was that I was like, well, now I like it. How are they going to screw this up at the beginning of season two to make me not like it again? They're not. <laughs> but they're not, which is good. And I'll tell you, yeah. just. For our listeners, this is not only an Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. problem. Yes. I am having a difficult time getting through the last season of shows that I really like, mm-hmm. like The Flash. Yes. Because I'm like, 
it just doesn't need 23 episodes. Mm hmm. You know. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, it really it really doesn't. And now that, that people are starting to figure this out. But Agents of Shield, I think, is the only one that I know of that actually chops up their seasons and brands each, you know, mini season with its yeah. own branding. And I think that that's brilliant. I hope that a lot of other TV shows kind of take that cue. Because um, there's a lot that you can do with that if you have to live within a traditional, you know, network television structure. Um, I think that that's a, a great way to do it. And I kind of hope, I don't know, season six of um, of Ages of S.H.I.E.L.D., for anybody who's caught up, you know, all the way to, to where it is now, is going to be coming back, um, I think, after um, Avengers Infinity War releases next May. So it's going to be coming back as like a next summer kind of thing is my understanding at this point um and uh so i mean that's going to be fascinating but after that like i still want i want them to get picked up by netflix i want them to shift over into one of these hulu spaces or something where they can have that freedom and they can still produce the show because i love it so so very much <laughs> it makes me happy um but i'm Real also quick, so happy. one yes. last comic book note yes is what you're describing here actually sounds like limited series mm. So comic books will do this thing where you get a limited series. Maybe they don't think that it's a concept that can carry an entire ongoing, Mm -hmm. but they have, you know, one good story or whatever that will run for four to six issues, sometimes a little longer, sometimes a little shorter. Yeah. And you get to kind of round out some of the world, you know, Mm -hmm. like there was once upon a time when uh, Wolverine was not a character they thought could carry nine different solo series and they gave him a four issue mini that was amazing and yeah. really made us go, okay, give give us an ongoing, you mm-hmm. know. And so it's kind of interesting to watch superhero television reinvent that wheel, kind of. Yeah. That's no, very that's cool. very cool. No, I like that. Maybe that's how they ended up kind of getting this idea, you know, and, and sort of melding these things together. But I think it's great. And I think that what it does for television storytelling, which really the best storytelling that's happening right now is happening in television. It's it true. It is fantastic. So um, so I don't know if they got that idea, if they got that inspiration from, you know, limited run comic book series or the, you know, the little mini series within a series, uh, you know, more extended series of, um, of like comic books, the way that you have like a run of like, you know, six or eight yeah. issues yeah. for something, um, which is really the way to do it. If you've got a long story that you're telling, breaking it up into chunks that are digestible, you know, I think is really good. 22 episodes is just way too long to tell a story. You know, having it in little hops like that, I think, is a really great way to go. But let's go ahead and talk about these last three episodes of the season in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. because they are fantastic. I will hear no other opinion. (laughs) Well, good news. I don't have one. Good. I'm so glad. I'm so glad that you like it because it makes me so happy. It is. It's really tough. And it's also tough because now like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is just getting good. And we're going to be moving on to other Marvel properties. We're starting with Daredevil uh, next time we come back. We'll talk about that at the end of this episode. Um, But I'm going to miss it. Like now that it finally got good, I suffered through all this bad stuff and through all the stuff that you hated. And now it got good. And I'm like, oh, I just want to keep watching it. So I may end up just watching it on my own. (laughs) again because i love it so much i admit that i am in a much better space for season two but i am also legitimately happy to have a break so yeah i like here where we wound up but Mm -hmm. i need a breather yeah and it's good it puts us in a nice downhill slope for when we get into season two so we won't feel like we're dreading going back into that space but um but we have three episodes the first episode is uh the 20th episode of season one called nothing personal nothing personal aired on april 29th 2014 and was written by paul zibzewski and newcomer dj doyle 
This is Doyle's first episode for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but hardly his last. He will write or story edit for a total of 35 episodes to date. He's still with the show. Uh, this episode was directed by Billy Gearhart. We last saw him directing Repairs, otherwise known as the Let the Girl Go Ghost episode. So um, so it's fun to have him back. And, um, Which and was... I- Beautifully directed. Whatever yes. other problems we had with it, that show, that episode looked great. Yeah. One of the things that Ages of S.H.I.E.L.D. really has down is kind of the visual style. And I think the direction has been high quality all the way through. Yeah, I would tend to agree. It's mm-hmm. a really well put together shot to shot show. Definitely. Yes, yes. Um, so we have them coming back to this place. They see that uh, Sky and Ward left, um, and they're they're figuring out what's happening at the base. May, um, I love the stuff with May though. While all the team is at the base, May is out tailing Maria Hill, <laughs> takes out the entire team, and then we have Hill and May in the alley talking. Two women, both tough, both in charge. I love this whole scene. I love everything. I love Maria Hill being cranky on the phone. I love May coming in and then, you know, getting the clue from Maria, figuring all of that out. It's just fantastic. There's only one thing missing. What's that? May's mom. May's mom. I know. I want May's (laughs) mom, too. I just... You know, I just built that whole backdoor pilot in my head. And then when she doesn't show up and karate kick some CIA guy, I'm like, man. I know. I want May's mom. mom. May's mom is fantastic. (laughs) But, you know, without May's mom, I will definitely live with May. I love that, you know, um, you know, Fury just said we buried that when I buried Coulson, you know, and May knows to go to Coulson's grave. She digs it up. I love that we've got this poor guy mourning whoever he has lost <laughs> looks over oh, at yeah. May crawling out of a grave and she's like my condolences <laughs> <laughs> May is so badass and I love her I love when she comes back and Coulson just says I was hoping you'd come back and that's all like that is the I'm sorry that is the I forgive you that is everything with them they can say so much pretty much without saying anything to each other and it's really really nice yeah, I agree. I really like that dynamic. Mm-hmm. I don't think Coulson was wrong by any stretch to be so upset with her. Oh, not at all. No. And I don't think she was wrong to just be like, okay, I can't work yeah. here. Like, yeah. I can't be useful to you or to myself here. But she cared enough to try and put herself in a place where she could be. And that gave Coulson enough time to, like, emotionally bring yeah. it down. Yeah. And then they're fine. Yeah. It's and then great. they're good. But, I mean, that's the thing. Like, she... Even though she left and she was like, you know, I can't do any good here. He's never going to trust me again. She left and then she went looking to help him and only came back when she had something that was going to be of use to him so that if he didn't want her there, she could still leave again, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I like that. It's such a give and take of these like little moments between them, little things that they do for each other, you know? And so when he sees her and just without anything, just says, I was hoping you'd come back, you know? And the two of them just from that point forward, everything's fine. You know, there's no holding it against. There's no resentment. There's none of that. They've just let it go and they're moving on with their friendship and I think that it's great and I love the whole thing and then of course we find out that Coulson was actually the one behind the Tahiti but but I mean she was trying to find who Fury took his orders from 
to put Coulson in Tahiti. That I thought was the question they were trying to answer. But what she found out was that Coulson had been running Tahiti and said it wasn't any good. You can't use it. You absolutely shouldn't use it. So did we did I miss something? Did we find out who gave Fury those orders? I don't think we did. I think that what becomes the assumption Mm -hmm. is that Fury was operating under his own orders, like Mm -hmm. under his own authority, but taking into account the negatives that Coulson had made clear to him. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, which does not, I'm just going to say, make Nick Fury's choice a good moral choice. No, Nick Fury is a complicated guy. Um, he is, he's not good. (laughs) I think he's, I think he's an ends, you know, justify the means kind of thing. And he will, he will engage in means that are highly, highly questionable. There's kind of a part of me that feels like Fury could not bear the loss of Coulson. Yeah, no, I think (laughs) that's what And does not understand his own emotions and is just like, well, bring him back. I can't deal with this. Yeah, I think it's it's like any kind of, you know, grief situation like that. I, I don't think that Fury knew how to handle his grief yeah. on that, you know. He never got to acceptance because he just decided he didn't need to. Yeah, you know. And I mean, the thing that's funny and that's really interesting is that pretty much in every other reanimate the dead story, right? <laughs> yeah. Somebody dies and they're brought back to life by some kind of science, by something that, that basically denies nature its due. And the end of that story is always, well, they've got to die because that's the way it's supposed to be. It's like Frankenstein, you know, like everything. Like you bring back the dead. The end of the story is they got to go back. They're meant to be dead. You know, you can't do that. Yeah. It never works out well. Right. Here we have consequence, you know, for that, which we're we're seeing, you know, especially at the end of the the last episode in this season, uh, that there is consequence to that, that that Coulson has something within him that is that is a consequence of that um but uh, but we're not like oh colson has to die you know which is this is one of the few places where you brought somebody back from the dead and they're allowed to be back from the dead you know although i guess that happens a lot in the comics though doesn't it people do come back from the dead a lot in the <laughs> comics but it's it's not well that's hard to say i was about to say it's not usually on purpose or through specific machinations mm-hmm. although there is an exemption for every rule i might make right mm-hmm um, a lot of times, I mean, once upon a time, people died in comics and stayed that way. Right. Mm-hmm. We just don't do that anymore. <laughs> well, comics and soap operas. Soap operas, people come right. back from the dead all the time, but they were never actually dead is usually what it is in the soap opera. And the soap opera was like, we thought they were dead, but no, they weren't dead. They, we got the actor back five years later, so we brought him back. <laughs> we have some examples like that. Mm-hmm. Um, Jean Grey's original death mm-hmm. winds up being that, basically an evil twin story. Ah. Superman's death also turns out to be a he was never dead. Mm-hmm. But we also have some times when dudes are straight up dead and through metaphysical or magical ways they come back mm-hmm. and it's just like okay yeah. we're just gonna go with it no it's it's really interesting because often those things are 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 handled in stories like you know it's it's a bad thing to deny nature it's due but um but anyway we've got colson and colson's with us and so i'm, I'm happy and pleased with that uh one of the other things that i love throughout these three episodes is the fitzsimmons story 
which I think is just so fantastic. Um, I love that they come back to the base and Fitz finds the note, Simmons finds the body. They figure out, you know, what happened, that Ward left. You know, we have the scratched in message, Ward is Hydra, right? That that Sky mm-hmm. left and Sky was so smart about it, you know, wedging the, the window shut so it wouldn't roll to the next thing. Although I find it incredibly funny that this incredibly high tech base in the middle of Canada has these like rotating film, you know, windows <laughs> that I'm they I'm going use. to assume that this base was originally built in 1965. Yeah, that may well be the case. That may well, that may have been the height of technology at that point. Some of it wasn't refurbished. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, but it's nice that they, you know, together, of course, find the information. And we have Fitz, you know, throughout these three episodes, we're going to see him go through this arc. He is just in such denial. Betrayal hits Fitz harder than it hits anyone, and especially in a spy organization. Like, everybody else is pissed about Ward, but they're like, mm-hmm. well, you know, we're, we're spies. Like, <laughs> this this kind of thing happens, you know? Um, but But Fitz is so like emotionally devastated by it. And it's so interesting how he's so emotionally connected. And Simmons is like, nope, dude's just evil. You know? <laughs> like now, that's it. I would like to point out yes. that Simmons clearly is being written as in denial and somebody who needs to get over it. He also lives in a world and works for an organization wherein several high level operatives had their mind taken over by the Norse god of mischief. Yes. With a spear given to them by an intergalactic despot. Mm-hmm. The man may have a point. Right. And looking for a reason why this betrayal isn't a betrayal, you know, is is such a, a faithful thing to do. Like Fitz has an incredible amount of faith. And if he believes in somebody then that's it, you know, and he believed in Ward. And Mm -hmm. so this is something that is so difficult and so personal for him. And especially having just gone through the whole thing with May is betraying everybody. Like whenever, whenever he has, and then Hydra, of course, on this, you know, global level has betrayed everybody in S.H.I.E.L.D. Like his capacity to be betrayed by the people he really, truly trusts is, is so, it's so low. It's so hard for him. And I kind of love that that in this spy organization we are still we still hold a space for the the real realities the emotional consequence of betrayal by the people that you trust yeah i mean there has to be some trust for you to get this job done yeah and so there still has to be some you can't constantly expect you can plan for everybody to double cross you but you can't expect it You know, like you can't always be holding yourself in an emotional space where being double crossed by a close associate is like Tuesday. Right. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's great that he's able to kind of be that person for us in the, in the story while everybody else is like, okay, we're going to get to work. You, yeah. you settle out your business. Exactly. Meanwhile, Simmons is like, okay, his, his trachea was crushed by a thin wire by somebody who was saying it's, it's Ward. It was, it was completely Ward. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I did, I lost count of the number of times that she was just like, oh, Fitz. Yes. In these episodes. <laughs> yeah. Fitz, he's evil. He's just evil. Um, so meanwhile, we have Sky and Ward, right? You know, she's, 
um, playing him along, bringing him to this diner. I love Skye. I love how she's, you know, running out the clock, how she's trying to find a way to, you know, to like turn them in, to, to get away from him, to be safe. Um, but my, I think my favorite part was when she was like, so what would you say to Garrett if you had a chance? Would you tell him dis- he's disgusting? Would you tell him he's a disgusting piece yeah. of filth? You know? yeah. And she just lays into him and the look on Ward's face where he's like, yeah, I'm not I'm not sure what's going on here. (laughs) (laughs) I am never going to stop mourning the sky that they made me think we were going to have the The one with a moral compass. Yes. Mm -hmm. But I am glad that she is finally competent. Yes. And out of her mouth comes a very important lesson for Mm -hmm. 2018. Yes. If you fuck around with Nazis, <laughs> I'm not going to take the time to figure out how Nazi you are. Exactly. I'm just I'm going to assume you're a Nazi. You. I'm not going to grade you on the Nazi scale. Yeah. There's you're no either curve. zero or one. It's a binary yeah. system. Right? I just hang out with Nazis. Cool. You're a Nazi. Right. Right. It's just like the Red Skull, founder of Hydra, was a big, fat, friggin' Nazi. <laughs> this is yes. a valuable takeaway. Mm-hmm. All these years later. Like, yeah, no, I'm not really going to parse this out, Nazi. Exactly. But I love this whole argument. And there he is trying to defend himself. You know, I'm a survivor. And she's like, you're a serial killer. And I love that she doesn't fall for it. You know, but then we have this this wonderful thing with Mike Peterson and Mike Peterson throughout this Deathlock Mike Peterson whatever you want to call him he Man. switches back and forth between identities he's fantastic for real yeah. yes like like the uh the portrayal mm-hmm. and the arc that he's given and yes. that he is so obviously sort of the anti ward yeah in this situation that exactly. he is ward's opposite number he absolutely is, you know, and I love when he puts the the death coin or whatever it is, the, the brooch <laughs> of heart attacks, right? On uh, he shoots it onto Ward. Ward's on the floor dying, you know, and Sky's like he's a murderer, and Mike goes, "Yes, he is. Are you right?" So good, and you know that, that like yeah. he's so cool, and it's so complicated because the only reason he's doing this is because they're gonna blow a hole in his head if he doesn't. But yet he does it. You know, she says, you're not going to hurt me, Mike. You don't have to hurt me. And he says, I know I'm not going to hurt you. You know, I'll hurt him. Right. Yeah. And all of like, it's, it's so great. I love seeing, you know, he's, he's not, we don't see him visibly conflicted about it. He has accepted this is what it is. And he's just going through it. You know, he can't question it. He cannot. Right. But even as he does this stuff, even as he goes through it, he's still so competent, so strong, so smart. Like, God, and it is it is heartbreaking to watch this guy. Like, you remember the guy. Did I beat Captain America's time? You know, like, oh, remember that guy? when he used to smile? I know. I know. It is. God, he's so good. He's so good. J. August Richards in the role is so good. Deathlock slash Mike as written is so good you know um i just i can't 
like I, I, I can't even go on enough about how wonderful this character is written. And he's kind of because there's so much stuff going on. He's kind of in the background and it's easy, I think, to miss it. Mm-hmm. You know, like how good he is, both the actor and has written the character. But it's so complicated and complex and he's not a bad guy, but he can't be a good guy. And oh, God, it's so good. And if anybody gave Ward a moment of pause. Yeah. Where he thought, oh, crap, maybe I am a Nazi jerk. Yes. It was the it wasn't personal from Mike. <gasps> exactly. When he the throws that back. The mirrored phrase. Yes. Uh. That was so good. It was so good. Um, so also in this episode, Coulson is getting to be like my Coulson. Like my Coulson does yeah. this like quippy Buffy, you know, whenever there is in trouble, he just ends up quipping at people. And there's this one thing where like the where um, Talbot and Maria Hill are coming in. He doesn't know who's storming the base. And he's like, if I come out, will you shoot me? Because then I won't come out. Yeah. <laughs> just heads up. This is just a rule of life. Exactly. No, I, I love him. And then when he's talking to I can't remember but he says, trust me, I'm going to have a major freak out later. Like he's so calm through this whole thing. And then he's like, later on, I'm going to lose it, you know, and I like that. Yes, this is a this is a good Colson. This is yeah. um this is a guy who's had to grow a thick skin very quickly mm-hmm. and has just decided to do it by becoming a I guess more jovial figure. Like so yeah. often we see this they that the male character who has their life yanked out from under them just turns inward and hard. Mm-hmm. And Colson is just like, nope, I choose the I choose the opposite. We yes. are not doing that, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Now he's he's really fun. Um, I love this whole rescue with Sky, <laughs> where he goes into the thing. They're about to storm it and take it away from Ward, and then he sees Mike, and he's like, "Nope, nope, we're going in the car." Let's yeah. Go. <laughs> uh, we didn't plan for that. We don't have a contingency for that, so we're <laughs> we, gonna go. We don't have a deathlock contingency. I'm getting the hell yeah. out of here, you know. And then when they're dropping in the car, it is the most ridiculous sequence. And this is the one thing, and I don't blame it on the direction. Some of the effects in this were a little bit cheap, but a little bit like when the car is in the air, when it's landing yeah. in the parking space. Um, you know, it was just, but it was so fun. You know, he grabs Sky, they leave. Somehow she manages to hold on to her laptop throughout this whole ridiculous experience of falling upside down in this car. And they finally land in the parking spot. And then, of course, the valet comes over and says it's $20. And all you see is this pause. And Coulson starts to reach into his pocket. Yeah, and then we like, cut. okay. It's brilliant. I love that. So I love the the editorial, like the, um, the timing of the editorial cuts and everything is so perfect for the, the particular sense of humor of the show. But, you know, of course, they land and, and Sky's hair is, you know, all over the place. <laughs> and even Coulson's hair is all over the place. It is such an adorable little scene, you know, and then they go back and he's got this, you know, ragtag group of agents in the middle of this cheap motel, you know, <laughs> trying to figure out what they're going to do next. 
We're just operating out of the Motel 6. It's fine. Yeah, you know, it's a, a poor man's, you know, shield agent, right? You know, it's it's very fun. And again, it's that game changer, right? You know, we've torn down everything that shield was, and now we've got to rebuild it. And they're starting in this, like, you know, Motel 6 out in the middle of nowhere. But it's so great. It's so low tech, and it's really, really fun. But I love that at the end when he's talking to Maria Hill, and she's like, we're not bringing the band back together. This is right. not happening. There is no shield like she is trying to explain to him that this is it it's done you know we're not doing anything and he's like but there's more secret bases you know he's so <laughs> he's so dedicated to the mission of shield that i'm not sure that colson feels that he has an identity without shield i mean it is for shield and the and the mission of being a shield agent that he has sacrificed everything i mean including his life like yeah. you know so for him i don't think that he feels like there is a feel a phil colson without a shield no that makes sense everybody else we've seen in shield pretty easily finds their feet elsewhere yeah uh i mean cap was never really part of the squad and mm-hmm. natasha can just go be an avenger yeah and maria goes to work for tony which i still don't entirely understand as a life choice because yeah. they've met but whatever <laughs> and even like uh sharon winds up at cia like mm-hmm. there's everybody's like okay i mean right i'll figure it out but yeah colson just doesn't understand a world where he's not an agent of shield so right and we have this reflection of it's not personal right first with ward and then with um with mike but then we move to colson and he doesn't say that it's personal but it's so clearly, it's so obviously yes so yes. clearly and this is his family these are his people and we don't spend a whole lot of time dealing with trip you know, because Trip isn't emotionally linked in. He's there functionally with a role to play, you know, a mm-hmm. supporting role. And he's very fun. Whenever I love BJ Britt. Whenever we see him, he delights me. <laughs> he's absolutely He's delightful. good, yeah. He's wonderful, but he doesn't have a personal. I mean, he was betrayed by Garrett, but he obviously didn't seem to, you know, care that much. He knew what side he was on. You know, he knew he was on the side of S.H.I.E.L.D., that he was not going to choose Garrett over that. And he ended mm-hmm. up just kind of like with these people. But now he's here and he's in and he's eating junk food, you know, out of the vending machine. Um, and it's so cute because he talks to um, to Sky a little bit and says, maybe I'll go have another bag. And then while Sky and Colson are talking in the foreground, you can see him go around in the background and offer some of his chips to, <laughs> to fix. Yeah. So it's you say mm-hmm. that he doesn't have an emotional right. hook. And you are, mm-hmm. I, I guess sort of technically correct right Mm -hmm. but i feel like in the background and and then in the next episode in the foreground but i mean Mm -hmm. you see he's going around and making friends yeah just in a really easy way like i don't think he thought to himself i ought to go make friends with these people that's just who he is it's just who he is he's really really great All right, so that moves us into episode 21 of season one, Ragtag. Ragtag aired on May 6, 2014, and was written by Jeffrey Bell, who wrote 084, I Spy, and Tahiti. Well, two out of three ain't bad. Well, he wrote a lot. He did a lot for one season. Uh, he's going to move more into the executive producing, and we'll see him writing less often as we move forward. But he is a solid writer, and it's really fun to have him working on this episode. I love this episode. This episode was directed by Roxanne Dawson. This is the second of three episodes Dawson will direct for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. We last saw her directing I Spy, which, of course, was also written by Jeffrey Bell. So, um, so it's kind of fun, this episode, although I have to say... 
the young ward flashbacks like okay I am notorious for hating flashbacks so let's take my prejudice out of it what did you think about the flashbacks who gives a shit thank you I mean even if they did manage to tie them back into the main story who cares Right. I don't well, need to know what kind of a sad sack Ward was to turn him into a Nazi sympathizing jerkwad. I know. Well, see, this is the thing. With flashbacks, and I wanted to like give the opportunity, if you had an argument for why they might be good, to let you have that argument. But since you agree, I'm going to go ahead no, and No, they're terrible. Tear okay, thank you. This is the thing. Flashbacks don't have to be awful. They are not always yeah. weak storytelling. They are just often weak storytelling. And this is an example of that. And the reason for that is nobody cares. There's nothing in the Ward flashbacks that have anything to do with what's going on in this episode, except he couldn't kill the dog, right? And okay, and I may have missed something. So because I was so incredibly bored during the flashbacks. But here we have this whole thing, you know, Garrett pulls him out of juvie and gives him a life living alone you know, where his hair grows out, but he's still able to shave. So whatever. Um, and <laughs> so he's out I there. I did with this... notice yes. how remarkably clean shaven. I was like, how... well, maybe he just doesn't grow a beard. I barely grew a beard when I was 18. And look at me now. Right now. I know. But I mean, the thing is that like, even if you can't really, you'll be patchy. Like boys will be patchy with something, you know, it may look like terrible, but it'll be so he was super clean shaven. And they put that weird hair on that actor who doesn't look anything <laughs> like um, like Grant Ward. So I don't know. All of it was just a bit too much for me. But the thing is, back to why flashbacks are cheap, cheap writing a lot of the times, not all the time. You want to see how they're done? Well, go watch Lost. Um, but the thing is that if there was something in this backstory that reflected, that was a complete story in itself and reflected nicely onto the current story, sometimes you can make an argument for that. But here we're just wedging in this history for, um, for Grant and nobody cares. Like it doesn't matter except that you know it's a weakness having emotions is a weakness and that's the whole that's all you get out of that whole backstory you know with him and and Garrett and then we have this moment where he's being told to kill his dog right instead he shoots up in the air and doesn't kill the dog the next shot is looking at the dog through a scope on presumably a gun and did I miss something? Was that supposed to be Garrett shoots the dog anyway, or later on Ward has to shoot the dog? I think Ward was watching the dog run away to make sure it got away. Oh, okay. I thought he was, I thought he was like, you know, putting it in the scope so that he could shoot it. I think, didn't I mean, he didn't have sense. binoculars, right? right? So he was using the scope, I guess. I but guess, I was really, have a shoot, I was a really shot, confused yeah. by this too. Yeah, no, it didn't make any sense. But I mean, this whole idea of it's not a complicated idea that human connection is a weakness, you know, or is a point of vulnerability that can affect your ability to do the job. Sure, fine. We don't need all those flashbacks to give us that. That is a very, very little nutritional content for like all of the time that those flashbacks take. And nobody cares. Like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't give me any new perspective on Garrett. It doesn't give me any new perspective on Ward. And when we have that moment where Garrett says, you know, cross off Fitz and Simmons, is that a weakness? You can get everything you need from that context of that question to 
you know, to bring us back to work. We don't have to like make fits into Buddy the dog and try to like draw that line. Like it's it's already there in context. You lose, if you cut out all those flashbacks, you would lose nothing from this episode. And that means that they don't need to be there. Would you like to know how these yes. flashbacks made me afraid you were about to lose a co-host on future Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. <laughs> seasons? <laughs> We don't do a lot of flashbacks. I hope that No, helps. it's not the flashbacks themselves. Yeah. I thought that they were setting Ward up for a redemption. And I was oh. like, I will flip this table and never come back. <laughs> flip this table. <laughs> never right. again. All right. I will tell you, if I lose you as a co-host, it will not be for that reason. Okay. No, I can't imagine another situation. But when I see this flashback, the only thing I could think was mm-hmm. that they were showing us this vulnerability, this place where he might be able to be a good guy again. And I was like, you bring him back into the fold. I am done. Done. No. Well, the thing is, I love a redemption arc. I'm always, always up for a redemption arc. But a redemption arc has to be earned. And what Ward would have to do to earn a redemption arc would be lay down his life. You know, the only thing he can do is die. Like At this point, that's the only yeah. thing he can do. You don't get to be redeemed while you're alive, you know? Um, it has to be, like, ultimate sacrifice after everything that he's done, especially after everything that he does in this episode, which pushes him even further down the down the line of, of you know, he will not be forgiven. But that is not going to be a, a point here. Um, that's not going to be something we do. So, um, so we've got these guys. They're all working out of this cheap hotel. I love when they've got the easel and the big, you know, pad that they're drawing the mind map on, right? And May's like, watch out. So awkward. (laughs) It is, but it's so cute. I No, it's adorably awkward. Yeah. I I love it because they had all this high tech stuff where, you know, Fitz is reaching into the air and moving things and like a hologram and all that kind of stuff. And then we've got and now we're down to markers and paper, you know. Um, But then, of course, when Trip comes in with his howling commando gear from his grandfather, I love that. I thought that was really great. I mean, again, we're not, and it's it's fine. It's not a problem that we don't have a personal story for for a trip because we are at a point in you know this. Of course, if we had cut out all of the stupid ward flashbacks, we might have had time to do something a little oh, more. Oh, would we have liked to have had some trip flashbacks hanging out with his grandpa here in spy stories? Right. It would have been better than Ward. It would have been better than Ward, definitely. Uh, but even to give Trip something like a personal connection or something happening that that makes it personal, that makes him part of of the team in that emotional space as opposed to just in that role space where he has a function. Um, you know, it would have been fun, but it's fine the way that it is. It's adorable. I love that he's bringing in all his grandpa's old gear i love how excited colson is about every single piece he knows what they all are i love that enthusiasm and that nerdery i think that was the emotional hook like mm-hmm. trip is like the boyfriend that somebody brought home that dad's not sure he likes yet yeah <laughs> and then they found a thing to bond over and it's like okay you can stay yeah right no i mean i think like for me what it is is that Trip is there and he's functional within the team and he's a good guy and everybody likes him. He gave Fitz some chips and so now even they are bonded, right? You know, Fitz was the only one who had a problem with him in the first place. Um, but uh, but it, he doesn't have, like, all of these people are so deep into these relationships with each other and there's all of these enmeshed relationships. You've got May and Coulson and Coulson and Sky and Sky and May and Sky and Gemma and Gemma and Fitz and, you know, like all of that stuff, right? 
there's all these connections and trip is just kind of like on the outside like he's not emotionally enmeshed in those individual yeah, relationships yeah. but we did give him the cool thing of being the one that brings all the spy gear this low-tech spy gear that they're able to um to you know use in order to to break into cyber tech i just thought it was absolutely fantastic and then we've got may and colson pretending to be scientists like playing you know Gemma and fitz you know <laughs> as they're fighting and then when the guys at Cybertech were like yeah we call this something else i think the sleepy sleep gun you know which is even worse than the night night gun god yes <laughs> And it's just, it's adorable. We've got them, you know, I love when when people play a role. I love when you've got spies playing a character, you know, so they're, they're acting like out of character. Whenever May has to play a role, you know, it is so fun to May see May smiling is disconcerting. So, yes. I love it. I love her with the glasses. I love the whole thing, you know, and they're taking their notes from, uh, from Fitz and Simmons. It's just absolutely adorable. And then, of course, they go in you know they find all the files are actually in literal file cabinets so here they come in to cyber tech this place and they're about to take it over because nobody's expecting to be tracked on a uhf channel and low tech and all this kind of stuff and then it's all paper files and i love that get ready for a large file transfer and sky says how large and then the file cabinet just crashes out of the window to the ground that was fantastic i really like this as a bit Mm-hmm. But I could not stop thinking about how this company actually functions. And it, and the answer is it doesn't. It can't. It cannot. It can't. Not in any kind of modern sense of the word. I mean, even an older company would just have copies of files on, you know, down in the lab or whatever. Anyway, okay. I love it. It's a great bit. But I was also kind of tripped up where I was like, how does, how do they get, yeah. you know, anything <laughs> done? Right. Practically, it doesn't pass the how can that be like it, it'll stop you in your tracks wondering how in the world a a place could function like that. But overall, I mean, I thought it was I thought it was really fun. And no, I, love I agree. This. It's super fun. <laughs> I love this from Coulson with Fitz, where he's like, we're no longer field agents where and Fitz goes vigilantes. And Coulson <laughs> says, well, I was going to say doing the right thing. But, you know, yeah, <laughs> this is OK. This is actually a thing I had in mind when I said uh, that apparently S.H.I.E.L.D. has been doing all of the things that I want low-rent superheroes to be doing. Yes. Because mm-hmm. that's the deal where it's just like, we're vigilantes. Yeah, <laughs> and sometimes you have to piss off to the Florida Everglades to fight a muck right. monster. <laughs> it's not all good news. Your costume's nice, but mm-hmm. I don't know. No, it's it's just, it's really fun. I love them all coming together even tighter as a team, you know? Um, and then we've got them splitting up, right? You know, Sky and Trip and Colson and May are doing this thing with a large file transfer. Meanwhile, Fitz and Simmons are in real danger. I mean, they get taken in by Ward. Fitz does this wonderful low-tech joy buzzer EMP thing, which I love. Oh, um, yeah. I lo- yeah. I love that thing. And he takes he takes Garrett out, you know, I mean, Garrett's electronics are just thrown out by that. Um, and then, you know, we go back to this whole thing where, you know, Garrett's tells Ward, cross him off for me. Ward tries. They lock themselves in the little containment module and he drops it into the sea. You know, uh, meanwhile, Fitz is there telling him, you don't have to take orders. You know, you have a choice. And he goes, I need to understand why you're doing this. Like he is trying so desperately, even during those last moments, even as the containment module starts to fall, 
he's looking at Ward trying to get an understanding of what the hell is going on. It's good. It's strong. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen to Fitz. So mm-hmm. I'd I'd like to see him when he comes out of whatever's going on with him, be just a little more cynical. Like if they ever gave him another scene like this again, it would feel yeah. like too much. Yeah. But yeah. in this space, I'm like, I really like this, where he is just so desperate yeah. to hang on to somebody that he can trust, especially somebody who saved the love of his life. Yeah. Yeah. Like he needs Ward to be a good guy because Ward gave him this gift. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, this is really Fitz's loss of innocence. Yeah. You know, this is a real loss of innocence for him. And it's going to be something that's going to be felt throughout the rest of the run of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. It's so fantastic. And it's so heartbreaking. It's so devastating. Because here Fitz is, you know, part of this spy organization. And yet he's so tender. And he's so vulnerable. His emotions are so tied up in these people who are not necessarily going to be the most trustworthy of people, mm-hmm. you know, because they're all spies, right? right. Um, but I, you know, I love that whole thing. And, it, you know, from the episode before, too, where he sits with, with Simmons and he says, you have to tell me you're not Hydra. I know it's ridiculous, but I need you to tell me. Like, you know, Simmons is the one. You know, he can, it's going to be devastating for him anytime anybody betrays him. But as long as Simmons doesn't betray him mm. he's gonna be okay yeah you he'd know? just lay down and die yeah no that would be it that would be heart it for ripped him. out he wouldn't be able to to exist anymore um but i do like this we have this moment with fitz where he's talking to ward and he's saying i know that you're a good person ward you can choose right now to be good it's a choice you know mm-hmm. and then that made me think of you know the situations that we have here with Deathlock, you know and with yes. Raina. Right. You know, Deathlock is talking to Raina and he's like, why are you here? And she said, I'm waiting for what's inside to be revealed. You know, like she is making very specific choices without worrying about good or evil or any of it. That is not even on her radar. She wants one thing and she'll do whatever it takes to get that one thing. And we get a hint you know, at what it is. She's talking about the DNA. She's talking about Sky. She's talking about something hidden within the DNA. She's mm-hmm. talking about evolution. All of these things that we're hinting at, you know, but we're not talking about directly. We still don't know exactly what it is that she wants, but it is deeply personal to her. And you can tell, you know. I think it was this episode or the one before where she says that the hidden thing she has yeah. in common with Sky. Yes. yes. So now exactly. we have the personal hook. Yes, absolutely. And it is deeply personal. And Raina is, you know, kind of the anti-Sky, right? You know, I mean, they're both really smart. Oh, that's true. I like that. I hope Raina hangs around. Yeah, she's a kind of, oh, yeah, she does for a while. It's good. Um, she, but she is kind of the opposite number to Sky. Like, you know, they have these things in common, but how they go about dealing with them is so completely different. It's really, really interesting. And that, you know, not to spoil too much, but is a setup for the things we're going to be discovering in season two, which is going to be really, really fun. But here we have Mike, right, as Deathlock, who has no choices. You know, mm-hmm. they have his son. They're going to blow a hole in his head. You know, he has no choices for being there. Raina has a choice, but her choice is I have one thing that I want to do. And as long as this, you know, leads me closer to that one thing, then I'm good. I don't care. I don't care about being good or being bad. And then we have so Raina is kind of like, you know, I don't know, I guess would you call that um, chaotic neutral or would that be? (laughs) (laughs) 
Yes, I think chaotic neutral because she is not motivated by good or evil. She is motivated right. in this case by knowledge. By one specific goal. She desires she illumination. Wants, yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, the chaotic aspect is she'll basically do whatever she has to do on either side to get what she wants. So right. yeah. Yeah. You've so nailed your Dungeons and Dragons reference for thank today, you Lonnie. Very well much. Done. Thank you very much. Well, because we we have this spectrum, like there's Mike who wants to be good, but has no choices, right? And when you have no choices, when you're under somebody else's control, then I think morally you're clear from what it is that you do because you yeah. have no choices, you know? Um, and when he can exert a choice, you know, it's hurt Sky or hurt Ward. He shoots the thing at Ward. Now, granted, he did say that was Garrett's decision, but we don't know, you know, I mean, I don't know. So although I guess Garrett does cop to it later. So that yeah. was Garrett's call. It, it um, also makes sense. They cannot kill Sky at that point. Yeah. So yeah. putting her in, a, in an impossible situation makes the most sense. Exactly. Exactly. But I mean, he's not responsible for what he does there. He's not making a choice. But he asks Raina about it because Raina has something that he doesn't have. Raina has a choice. Mm-hmm. Why is she there? And he wants to know. And then we move into Ward where Fitz is saying, you have a choice. You can choose right now to be good. You know? And he says, I can't. It's a weakness you know, and then yeah. sends them into the ocean. And so I think that Ward is probably like, like Mike and Raina are so clearly drawn, you know, about, about what it is that they're there for, why they're there. And with Ward, it seems like this just kind of like weird loyalty to Garrett. And I guess the flashbacks are supposed to show us why he's so grateful to Garrett, but I don't really see I mean, Garrett's a crazy asshole in the flashbacks the same way he is now. Like, I don't see him as having done anything really that terrific for Ward. So I don't really understand the choice that Ward makes, you know, aside from just that he's he's a bad guy. I guess the thing that Ward feels for Garrett is a certain amount of loyalty, like to a kind of father figure, but it mm-hmm. is a loyalty and father figure that is just based in all the most toxic of toxic masculinity. Yeah. You yeah, know, this, I don't know. This bootstrap, I got to be cruel to be kind, mm-hmm. you know, kind of thing. I made you everything you were. That's right, sir. You made me everything I, I am over and over until it's the thing you believe. Right. Yeah, I don't know. It's um, I don't think they sold it. They didn't sell it to me at any rate. Like I didn't I didn't buy it. I didn't buy that Ward is that deeply under this guy's control, you know, just from psychological abuse. Although, you know, from the time he was a kid. Sure. But I mean, he was alone in the woods for what, six months? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't I don't buy it. It doesn't sell for me. So for me, I look at Mike and I understand exactly why he's there. I look at Raina and I understand exactly why he's there. I look at Ward and I think, why are you making these choices? Like the people that you care about, you care about Sky, you care about Fitz, you care about Simmons. He does have feelings for these people. And yet he's choosing this this incredibly like crazy toxic evil guy and he doesn't have like you know garrett has motivation he needs to you know do all this stuff or he's gonna die right this is what's keeping him alive so you can see garrett's motivation although he's he's gradually getting crazier and crazier throughout that process but like i i never quite bought ward's motivation for doing what he does yeah and for sticking with it the way that he has I feel like there's two things bundled up in here. We've mm-hmm. talked about both of them, and one is good and one is terrible. Yeah. 
the first thing bundled up in there is this is basically more of Ward's daddy issues. Right. Mm -hmm. And we are exhausted. Yes. With hard men being hard because of their daddy issues. Right. Mm -hmm. I am exhausted both fictionally and IRL. You know, (laughs) I'm good. Right. Now, the good part of this is that you and I have discussed before how with superheroes, they are your moral compass in the universe. Yeah. So the thing that you do, the choice that you make is the thing. Yes. Right? So Mm -hmm. that is the delineator of whether you're good or evil is the Mm -hmm. choice that you make. And so I really like that Fitz brings that up here. Yeah. um, And says, no, you can choose to be good. And he's like, nope, I can't. Boop. And I'm like, all right. And now... And now you're, I wasn't going to mess with it anyway, because you're hanging out with Nazis. So basically a Nazi. <laughs> right. But there's for your superhero universe choice. Yes. I am now as evil as I can possibly be. And you once know. you have free will choice, I just don't feel like it's, it's sold to me. Like it's one thing if during the time that he was with Sky, like he realized that you know, or that we had hit on the fact that he'd already gone too far, that he was already beyond redemption, that there was no way he was ever going to be able, like if maybe he had a moment where he thought, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe I can make a good choice. By the time he reaches Fitz, it's not possible. Like he knows that's it. I'm already, I'm too deep in, I can't go any other way. This is it. And then he lets him go. Like, I think, I, I think I would have felt a little better about Ward, not, not as a human person, but as like a character, as like a narrative, you know, function um, about the way that they dealt with Ward. If we had had some of that, if we had had a sense that there was any conflict within him, but we don't, he just goes with Ward and that's it. And he does not seem, he, he still wants Sky, but he doesn't seem terribly conflicted about what he did wrong except with reference to whether or not he can possess Sky, you know, this like obsession thing he has with Sky. So all of that didn't really land well for me, but I absolutely loved that moment with Mike and Raina. Yeah, definitely. And, and I think it throws Ward's choices into that super stark relief. Mm-hmm, and for right. what it's worth, you're pointing out that he's now circled around where he just basically wants to own Sky. Yeah. Is part of why I was like, okay, I think they might be doing a toxic masculinity thing on purpose. Yeah. You know, maybe. I'm, I'm, I mean, we are talking yeah. about this crew who is broadly not always great at that. But, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, that's, uh, he's given up on trying to make himself an attractive choice for her and instead is right. just like, I want her. She's mine. Right. right. And Garrett. Man, Garrett really knows what's going on there, and that's why he keeps letting him try. Right. I think. Because every time Ward tries to own Sky, he's deeper under Garrett's control. Like, that's yeah. more of what Garrett put in there coming out. Exactly. Because yeah. the ways in which, like, he can't win her over. You know, he can't, she will never come to him through free will. So his only option is to try to possess her in some Mm -hmm. way, you know. Um, So it's really interesting. And I liked also this interaction that we had between Skye and Coulson, where she says, I should have let Mike finish him when I had the chance. I'm stupid and weak. And Coulson says, you weren't weak. You had compassion. That's harder. Yeah. Superhero choices. Yeah, it is. It's all about hero choices. You know, who, like, the choice that you make defines who you are. And um, and so a lot of this episode has had to do with with the choices that people make, you know? And it's been, I really, really like it. I like the way that they built this episode. I could have done without the flashbacks, but I think it's just fantastic. I agree. 
All right. Okay. So moving into the last episode of the season, 20, episode 22, The Beginning of the End. The Beginning of the End aired on May 13th, 2014, and was written by Jed Whedon and Marissa Tancheron. Um, we last saw them writing in Turn, Turn, Turn. This episode was directed by David Straighton. This is Straighton's second episode and the last episode for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So he's going to be moving on to other stuff. But I think he did a good job with this episode. It was nicely done. This is one of my favorite episodes um, in all of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I think it's so good. I think I think that uh, Jed Whedon and Marissa Tancheron are a great writing team. I think they do fantastic work. Um, but we move into this space with Cybertech and the incentives program, right? Which is which is this creepy thing that's kind of like hanging over the episode is what is the incentives program? Mm. And of course you think, you know, great benefits, they get dental, you know, whatever. Oh, yeah, and, that's totally and- what I thought. Exactly. Well, no, I mean, but well, okay, you know, in the moment, I was like, well, what the hell is the incentives? I didn't see it as as dark as it was, you know, but when they bring him down into the little cells where they've got everybody held, you know, and and she opens it up and this guy sees his wife. I mean, my God, that's heartbreaking because you think about all these people are here by the incentives program and, you know, and what, what Raina says, whatever we can't get with volunteers, we'll get through the incentives program. Like, that is some serious evil. I mean, Raina is just chaotic neutral. Like, chaotic I want to know this thing. It really yeah. doesn't matter what happens to anybody else. Right. Well, I mean, ends justify the means, right? Like, not that far from Nick Fury. Really? No, I don't I mean, disagree. Philosophically, no. not that far. I mean, I think what she's doing and the ends that she is pursuing, the evil that she'll do for them, you know, but I mean, I'm... I'm I think Nick Fury qualifies as chaotic neutral, too. I will tell you the difference between Reyna and Fury that makes Reyna even worse. And I am no fan of Nick Fury. (laughs) He has convinced himself he's the hero in his story. Fury Mm -hmm. has. Reyna Mm -hmm. has not. And she doesn't care. Yes. That's the big difference. Like, I can Mm -hmm. get, I can understand that Fury is like, I'm protecting the world. I am doing the right thing. No matter how many terrible things I do, it's still the right thing. And Rain is like, right. right thing, wrong thing. It's my thing. Very true. No psychological gymnastics for her. Yeah, no, she doesn't have a concern for good or bad at all as concepts or <laughs> anything, you know, um, which is part of what makes her so fascinating. But I think, too, because... Because her goal is so deeply personal and so yes. deeply felt. Like you get a lot of antagonists who are just like, I'm bad because I'm bad because I like badness and badness is good, you know, or whatever. <laughs> and it's just, it's boring, right? But here we have a bad guy who's willing to do bad things, but for a reason that is is deeply personal and tied into identity, which, you know, a lot of these sto- these superhero stories have so much to say about identity. Yes. And here we have that with Reyna. And I think she's absolutely fabulous. You know, when she asked the question, what will I become? You know? Um, I am so desperate to know what she means by that because I know. this is not a moral question. Yeah. I mean, she's she's allowed that ship to sail. Right. This is so. about evolution. This is so deeply personal for her. You know, and then when she's talking to, to Ward, you know, and she says the world is going to change. And when it does, she could be yours. Right. And we slip right back into that possession. I really think Raina is just pulling the same strings that Garrett put there. Yeah, she's not stupid. I don't think she, she believes knows. a damn word of that. She knows how to get to him, though. Mm-hmm. I mean, and it's it's 
interesting to see her play that with him. She could be yours. Like she is already reading his deep need to possess Sky. You know, not to not to be loved by Sky, not to love Sky, but to possess Sky. I think it's 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 kind of fascinating. I think mm-hmm. it's really well done. I love that. Um, I love what we get with Coulson. Of course, again, quippy in the face of danger as they're downstairs and they're getting surrounded by all these cyber tech guys in the bowels of this building. He's like, so who do we talk to about getting a haircut? (laughs) Yes. I want to see how much of that we get going forward. Cause there's, there's definitely a moment where the cup is over full, but. Oh no, you're going to be, that cup is going to be overflowing. Quippy Colson is going to be a thing. If he's the only one doing it, it'll probably be okay. You know. It's it's got a lot of Buffy DNA. Dad jokes. It's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just yeah, dad jokes really. But he does. I mean, he and to me, like it, it seems like this is how he keeps himself grounded in moments of high stress. Yeah, absolutely. when things are really bad, he makes a joke, and I kind of love that about Coulson. Um, I love this fight between May and Ward. You know, where yeah. she just like air when quotes Ward comes fight. In, Right. She's Air, you pretty know, he in comes charge in, of it. <laughs> he comes in talking to Sky, and Sky's like, oh, no, I've got a much po- more powerful weapon for you. <laughs> I don't need a bomb for you. <laughs> you slept with her, and she's pissed off. And then May just charges him from the side and takes him out. It was it was a great fight. I love that fight scene. I love, I'm love. i not a big fan of fight scenes in general, but I thought the choreography of that was really good. They're busting through walls. You mm-hmm. know, they're quipping at each other. Um, and she just nails him to the floor, literally. I love that. <laughs> I mean, that's screaming. why you liked it. It didn't go on to, I mean, I'm going to try and read your yeah. mind here because I understand what you mean about action scenes. But it's, yes. it is well choreographed. It does mm-hmm. not stay in a location. And mm-hmm. they legitimately escalate within the fight yes mm-hmm. it, it doesn't stay static on any level and that exactly. is good action it's not just about the acrobatics of it you know yeah. and the choreography which can be fine you know up to a point but after a while it's just you know punch punch kick kick and that they're just repeating that over and over and over again but when there's a story momentum there you know when he's taunting her about oh did somebody get their feelings hurt and she's like oh please you know she's just going to kill him and holding all of that anger when she was talking to Sky earlier in the in the motel and and Sky was like I don't know how you do it and she's like I'm not going to waste it I'm furious, yeah. but I'm not wasting it now, you know, and her, her control, you know, and her being able to like build up that fury and focus it and just destroy this guy who is twice her size. I mean, it's amazing. I love that scene. I love that power. I think that's so fantastic. Um, and, you know, and I love Sky when she's at Cybertech, when she's going down and she's, you know, releasing everybody. And then she finds Ace and she pulls his toy out of the bomb belt so on the good. guy. <laughs> um, it's just, oh, God, it's so wonderful. And when she sends that, what's a message that we can tell your dad, you know? What are we, Dad? We're a team. And oh at that God. moment, he just yeah. shoots um, shoots Garrett. I love that moment so much. I think it's so fantastic. And knowing that Ace is going to be safe and that Ace is going to be okay. And then, oh, God, him watching his son go off and not being able to face him. I mean. Ugh. Yeah, I really, I get 100% what they were doing. 
mm-hmm. and how there might have been some quiet hopes that we would get like a Deathlock spinoff or something. Yes. You know, like I know there are business choices and story choices going on here. And mm-hmm. I was still like, I really like you to go hug your kid right now. Yeah. And everyone who doesn't let you is dead to me. Right. And I need but that. He chooses you know. not to. He chooses not to. And she's like, is it because of the way you look? He's not going to care about your burns. And he's like, no, it's because of who I am. Mm-hmm. You know, it's because of the choices that I made. He's like, you can access my hardware. You can watch my every move. I'll only be making amends for my actions. And he's taking responsibility for something that was not his fault. Exactly. I mean, that... Again, I get the story choices. They're not bad story choices. And I mm-hmm. get the business choices. Yeah. But when you look at how sharply those comparisons between his lack of choice and Raina's possession of choice. Yeah. We just got done really having a serious look at those. Like a real stark yeah. look. And for him to blame himself feels almost disingenuous. Yeah, it kind of does a little bit because textually, like we have established, he doesn't have any control over this situation. But I think that there is part of him that did the job. Yeah. And that knew that he could have chosen to have his head blown off, you know, but he also would have been choosing to have Ace be hurt. And like, that's the choice he can't make. Right. I was I was going to say that before. Uh, yeah. Talking about his choices that if. If his choice was do the job or get your head blown off and he chose to do the choice. Yeah. No, you still had a choice. Yeah. It's not you a can good understand, choice. You can understand why he chose, but you could also understand why he would feel bad about that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. nobody wants to choose to die, but if my choice right. is die or do something terrible. Die or kill other people. Yeah. Yeah. But as soon as you get my kid, bets are yeah. off. I don't actually That's have it. a choice. Exactly. Like, there's no way. No parent is going to choose for their kid to die so that they can be on the moral high ground. Like, I think, at least I think most parents wouldn't, you Yeah. Know? It, um, or if they did, it would just be a different kind of soul crushing than having to choose that my life end. Yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, that's just, yeah. So that's, that's a tough So call. I don't hate I think, it. I don't think yeah. it was bad, but I do, I don't know. It doesn't feel quite honest with everything we've done up till now. Well, I mean... I think that psychologically, though, there is an argument for that, although I don't think that we set it up enough. You know, um, we don't have him address like we don't have her say this wasn't your choice. This yeah. wasn't your fault. And him say, no, I made this like I still did those things. I still have to live with what I've done, regardless of whether it's my choice or not. I lived through that experience. And the thing is, is that that itself is a traumatizing experience that Definitely. itself, whether it's your choice or not, whether it's your fault or not, you're there for that experience. That is traumatizing. And it also can make you question you know, is there a monster in me? Yeah. Like that I was able to do this. Like, is there a monster in me? Not that I chose to do it, but that I was even able, you know, like, what does that tell me about me? I don't want to be around my kid until I know what kind of man I am. Like, that's a question that I would have enjoyed him, you know, bringing up at that point, even though we're like, no, you're good, Mike, you're good. You know, (laughs) Um, like, I think that having that conversation, like, I don't know what kind of man I am. And I'm not going to be around my son until I have answered that question, like that kind of thing. I'd buy that. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'll only be making amends for my actions feels like a flat line when we could have added that psychological nuance. Like I didn't do I didn't choose to do those things, but I was capable of doing those things. I did them. I have to know that about myself now. That's something I have to know. And well, I can't, you know. jumping ahead, yeah. we'll see this as one of my favorite lines from Civil War. Oh, yeah. 
you know mm-hmm. that it, so so we this is actually a recurring when it's set up well this yeah. is a thing that recurs in the MCU and is great it makes a lot of sense you get a little bit with Banner but you mm-hmm. definitely get it with uh with Cap and Bucky when he's like yeah. I did a lot of terrible things yeah but they weren't you Buck and he's like I still did them still did them I mean right. and and that's, you have to I, I that. get that I would get mm-hmm. that yeah so I think that they could have added that nuance atonement into yeah doesn't feel right no, it doesn't. But like to add that little nuance in there, I think would have made that absolutely perfect and and just heartbreaking and devastating. So I headcanon that. That's how I headcanon <laughs> it because it makes it work better for me. Um, but I love I love everything about him, and I actually would love to have a spinoff series of Deathlock. Oh yeah, dealing with those issues, and you know, I mean, it just would be so and so emotionally anchored like so many of these you know marvel properties are about the big you know action sequences and all of that you know special effects stuff and for for somebody like mike like it's about first of all being made into a monster Mm -hmm. you know or feeling like a monster he's half metal you know like i mean that's that's got to be just so such a strange transition of your identity knowing that he's done these things even though he didn't have a choice but he still did them like that could be something that he could be working through you know through a series and I would absolutely I would absolutely sign up for that um what I would not sign up for is anything to do with John Garrett concur um thankfully that doesn't seem like a problem I think I think maybe not which is good (laughs) but I mean we can't agree now that Garrett is just completely over the top crazy right well i mean yes <laughs> but also through consciousness expansion uh-huh. which i'm not sure what to make of that because not to jump around too much but we see that colson starts to have the same consciousness expansion well yeah he's drawing the same things at the end of the episode yeah so I, garrett was not a good person to start with and right. you know was not on an even keel like i'm with you Um, I do think he had not very grandiose, but still good personal reasons for making the choices that he made. Mm -hmm. But yeah, at this point, he's off the chain. He's just cackling supervillain at this point. See, he seems like cackling supervillain to me all the way through. Like I, from the beginning to the end, I've hated John Garrett. Um, There is very little that I enjoy more in the first season than the moment where Phil just casually in in the middle of his evil guy monologue, I'm unstoppable. You know, he just completely disintegrates him into atomic parts, you know? I am glad that I we like put that. that big a period on the sentence that is John Garrett. But if I never yes. see another irony smash, it will be too soon. I know. Yeah, it, that was a bit much. It was a bit much. But I, I'm really, really glad we got rid of him, you know, because I cannot stand. That is one of the characters of all the bad guys throughout all of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. That is my least favorite. Uh, so I'm glad that he was gone. Um, so, I mean, in the rest of this episode, we've got Ward. You know, kind of post having dumped Fitz and Simmons into the sea. Um, and his only problem is not, I just killed my friends, you know, but Sky detests me. She thinks I'm a monster, you know, and that's the only thing is like, can he possess Sky? And I have to say, like, his obsession with Sky is getting a little one note for me. <laughs> it's getting a little like, okay, whatever, Ward. You could have been with Sky if you'd been a decent person, but you weren't. So you gave that up. So whatever. Like, I don't care. Well, we are talking about Ward. So I was shocked to discover that he had more than one note to begin with. 
<laughs> so discovering that he might have three, but he really only uses two of them. Right. I'm it's fine with economy. it. It's fine. Sure. He can sure. go. <laughs> yeah, see yourself I don't out, know. Ward. I don't know. I was glad to see him all beat up at the end when Coulson pulls him in and mm-hmm. says to May, did you express yourself? And she's like, is he still breathing? And he's like, well, I guess she she held back a little bit. <laughs> yeah. I love yes. that. I Good love line. that whole thing. Strong I line. I love that. But the best part for me of the whole episode is Fitz and Simmons. It's the beating heart of the episode. Like, the rest of the stuff is fun. But if you don't yeah. want to forget that this is about something, oh God. here's Fitz and Simmons. No, and it's so it's so wonderful. You know, the way she wakes up and he starts talking to her and he's like, well, I'm, you know, it was nice that you were sleeping, but I'm glad that you're awake. They have this whole conversation. They both think they're going to die. Then he figures out a way to save them, but it can only save one of them. And he insists that she do it. And what I love so much is... He doesn't say I love you, but he says you're more than that to me, but I couldn't find the courage to tell you, so please let me show you, right? And that moment is so devastating when she throws her arms around him and kisses him all over the face and she's just weeping and it it kills me every time I watch that, that scene. It's just so devastating. But then, of course, he blows the thing open. You know, not giving her a chance to, like, worry about it or feel bad about it. And she pulls him to the surface. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, Nick Fury is there. (laughs) The deus ex Fury, right? (laughs) (laughs) But it was the little beacon that Fitz made. Yeah. Yeah, that was great. That that was actually... I, I knew that they weren't going to kill off Fitz and Simmons, but I was real right. curious how they were going to pull it off since everybody else was very busy. Exactly, exactly. But it was Fury who was monitoring all those old shield frequencies just in case. And and that Fitz brought that up before where he was like, I felt very clever when I set up the beacon and then I remembered nobody's listening to it. So, you yes. know, yeah, it was so good. Whatever. It was good. Yeah. I did not pick up on that line as important mm-hmm. when he said it. And then right. when Fury shows up, I was like, yes, you did. Good job, That's kiddo. right. Go yeah. Fitz. I know. But I just, oh, God, that whole thing is so, so powerful, so strong. I, I love that. That's, I think, you know, just one of the best. It's when I think of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and the moments that I love in all of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., that is at the top of the list. I am admittedly still not 100% sold on them as a romantic couple. Mm-hmm. Mostly because I think it squanders an amazing friendship. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I understand that. But Mm -hmm. until they do uh, something else to show me, I can just headcanon (laughs) that you're more than that Gemma is my sister forever or something. I know they're going to do something that makes me unable to ignore it. Yes. But for now, I'm living in a happy place. You can hold on to that. That's totally fine. They'll win you over. So we have this wonderful thing at the end, right? They get a new base with a new Koenig. (laughs) They're interchangeable, apparently. Apparently. Apparently, we've got a bunch of them in a closet. We just pull a new one out when one of them gets killed (laughs) by a horrible betraying traitor. Um, Traitor Nazi. Uh, So it was really great to see Patton Oswalt back. I love Patton Oswalt. So I was very excited that we have Eric Koenig now, not Billy Koenig. He goes through the whole thing about the lanyards. You know, it's just, it's so great. Coulson yelling at Fury, which I think is fantastic, yes. where he's just, you know, reading him the riot act, which is so great. And Fury's just like, you know, go do your thing, restart it. Here's your toolbox. And we have this whole new season set up. And then we move into that thing with Reyna 
and Skye's father, whose hand is just casually dripping blood as he picks up the picture of his daughter. Yeah, probably not a good um, guy, I'm guessing. Probably, probably not. Probably not. And then we've got Coulson etching into the wall. So we have the open questions that are going to lead us into the new season. You know, while still having kind of like, you know, tied up everything from the first season. And I think it's fantastic. I I love all of this stuff. And I'm really glad that you're starting to like it, too. I am going to do the work of Mm -hmm. a skipper versus watcher list. Yes. Because Mm -hmm. I think that if somebody had given me that instead of telling me to jump to after Winter Soldier, I would have followed those directions. Right. Okay. All right. Well, we can put that up. Just jump to Winter Sol- after Winter Soldier is not a good instruction. <laughs> no, it's not going to work on people. The... Yeah. You know, you that are like here for the MCU, you know. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. All right. So what's your favorite part? I love all the weird old spy gadgets from the Howling Commandos <laughs> SSR days. Uh-huh. I mean, there's so much really good stuff going on in these episodes that I can't really pick like a favorite beat or whatever so Mm -hmm. but the moment that i I, because i was enjoying all three of them this is this is going to sound like shade but i really don't mean it to i enjoyed these three episodes a great deal but Mm -hmm. the thing that just lit me up was when i was like oh snap that's the man from uncle shit oh yeah i want to watch that show a little bit you know (laughs) (laughs) it was really fun i liked all that stuff but i have to say like i couldn't even pick out a favorite part i was like i love fitzsimmons i love may beating the shit out of ward i love colson quipping i love sky outsmarting ward sky sending the message to mike at the end with ace yeah no it's all great yes i couldn't pick a favorite no, I get it. I, that's why it's a little weird for me to pick this suitcase because all of that stuff is so good. Like this, yeah. they tie a bow on all this stuff that I was just like, get on with it. And then they get on with it, you know? Yes. Um, yes, they do. So there's a there's a ton of amazing stuff. It was just, that's why my favorite is so specifically Josh because right. it's like the rest of this is really great. What do you want me to say? I'm here for the suitcase, you know? Exactly. They made that for me. That's fine. If you enjoyed this conversation and would like to join in, come find us on Twitter. Lonnie is at Lonnie Diane Rich, and I am at Joshua Unruh. And the hashtag is Listen Up, A Holes. This episode of Listen Up, A Holes was brought to you by Chipperish Media producer Alyssa from Dallas. Alyssa supports Chipperish Media at the power producer level and as a reward gets to express all her feelings. Thank you, Alyssa. Thank you to everyone who supports Chipperish Media or Pulp Diction Productions and makes Listen Up, A Holes a thing. To find out how you too can become a Listen Up, A Holes producer, visit the Patreon links in the show notes. Producer level support options are available at both Pulp Diction Productions and Chipperish Media. You can also share Show your support by leaving a great review on Apple Podcasts to make it easier for more people to find us and join in the conversation. Links are in the show notes. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Listen Up A-Holes. We're done with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. for a while, but we'll be back next time with our discussion of Daredevil Season 1, Episodes 1 through 4. Until then, we're no longer Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. We're... We're vigilantes. Well, I was going to say doing this because it's the right thing to do, but yeah, 